You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by HuntStand. HuntStand is the number one hunting app in the country, and at only $29.99, HuntStand offers a ton of functionality for hunters all over the country. Whether you own your own property or strictly hunt public, you can choose from over a dozen base maps, view property ownership information, 3D mapping, local weather, log your sightings and harvest, as well as use their trail cam management software, and print maps from your hunt areas. Download it today at the Apple App Store or Google Play. Hunt Stand. Upgrade your arsenal. In today's episode, I'm talking to Johnny Stewart, who's got quite a bit of experience hunting in the Northeast, but also is a traveling hunter and has spent time in many states across the Midwest as well. Our topic of a conversation is mature buck behavior, which seems at first glance like it could be a narrow topic, but it really isn't. One thing that's very obvious in this discussion with Johnny is that older bucks don't always operate the same as other deer. But even on top of that, they individually have so many different characteristics and behaviors that trying to describe what any given buck or the the general mature deer might do is challenging. There are so many specific scenarios that could be at play. Johnny and I will also be spending some time together this fall during the Veterans Hunt that Spartan Forge is hosting, so I'm pretty excited for that. And on that topic, I know a couple of you have reached out to me just to see if there are any updates on that Spartan Forge app launching. I can say that the app is in testing currently. I have a beta version of it on my phone, and I'm helping to vet it along with others. Things are coming along quite nicely, and I will say that there's going to be uh, quite a few more features and functionality built into that app than there was uh, present in the web-based version last year. You can use my code DIY for a discount if interested in checking that service out. Without further ado, let's jump into the discussion with Johnny. All right, on the phone with me right now, I have Johnny Stewart from out in Pennsylvania. Uh, why don't you go ahead and give the listeners a quick synopsis of uh, kind of where you hunt in the northeast part of the, the country and some of your experiences. Well, yeah, um, Garrett, I'm from kind of Pittsburgh area, and I've been traveling north, northern PA, probably 20 years, uh, hunting in, in the national forest type area there's a lot of land there the, the hunt's been getting better the last i've been getting more serious about that area probably the last six eight years um but besides that i've probably been hunting public land pretty serious the last i'd say about 10 years now pretty strictly only public um pretty much all my hunts are i don't live anywhere i hunt like i said i live near pittsburgh so um i can um relate to a lot of people to where you get that one week that you got to go to the state, you got to get your scouting in, and it's kind of, um, what I do, I try to get a couple, two to three States, maybe four, I've done five. Um, but I've had some luck and I've learned a lot. So, yeah, I mean, I grew up hunting in around Pittsburgh, you know, I did the suburbs, you know, back in my twenties and like, you know, uh, 
hunting deer with people and in backyards. And, you know, when I was younger, uh, you know, I uh, kind of hunted this area, small game, but I got into archery probably 12, 14 years old and, and that. So, um, yeah, kind of blew up as far as houses and stuff, uh, developments around where I live. So I did kind of get into the and around the houses and we had some success there probably in my twenties and, and we did a lot of bow drives and, but then, um, I wanted to get away from that. And, um, so yeah, I like the bigger, fast pieces of land where you can hike and, and get around and, and, uh, and so, yeah, that's where I'm at now. Um, yeah, so that's about it Gary. you know? Yeah. And, and you've, in some of those states that you've traveled to have been like Midwestern type states too, where, it's not just kind of the, the big wood stuff that you got a lot of experience with the suburban stuff, but even as we kind of, you know, branch West across kind of, you know, the Ohio, Iowa type region, like in that more broken mix of farmland, you got a little bit of experience there too. It sounds like. Yeah, well, definitely a lot, a lot of that, you know, a lot of time in, in that type of area, but I'm looking for bigger hunks of land. And I just, I like that vastness, not knowing what's out there and you get into that, you know, the stuff you said, the broken up farmland and you get your smaller pieces of public, you kind of, uh, you kind of know what's there a little more, not you, but just in general, people know what's yeah. out there, whether live by and it's like, everything's known or you get to that bigger, um, I like the mystery of, of what's, what's out there, what's lurking out there. So, yeah, it's definitely something that I've seen in, I'd say the last year or so where I've, cause in the past I've always kind of not necessarily small. There's been some big pieces of public that I've hunted, but some of that really big public to where you have the type of habitat that could hold, you know, tens to 50, even, you know, hundred thousand acres potentially. I mean, Mm -hmm. there's just, there's so much area to explore and there's just guaranteed to be places where no other guys go and, and guaranteed to be things that you can find out there that, that, uh, are just going to be a lot more overlooked than you get in some of the smaller pieces. Yeah. And it's intriguing being in, in that type of environment and, and some of the smaller pieces is just, like I said, you just kind of know that there's not no mystery there, but um, yeah, the, the bigger stuff's where, where I've been hang. I mean, I do steal the Midwest and stuff like that, but yeah, I, I like that, that type of land. You know what I mean? So, yeah. Well, one of the things that sparked this conversation was, you know, we always, I think here as deer hunters that when you get a deer that gets older age class, it's almost Mm -hmm. like they become a different animal. I think I I remember I was listening to Bill Thompson the other day and he was saying that, um, I can't maybe get the quote exactly right, but something to the effect of, if you look at the actual GPS data of like older class, older age class bucks, and you compare that to data from just general deer, you'd be convinced it was a totally different species of animal. And, and I guess I wanted to, to dive in a little bit deeper into some of your experiences to figure out what are some of the things that you see where an, an older age class animal does things differently than the rest of the deer. And if you're, you know, feel like you're doing a good job at deer hunting and, and getting on sign and getting on deer, but you're just not seeing those, those older age class animals, you're seeing a lot of two-year-olds, three-year-olds, does, etc you know, what things do we start need to, to look at differently? Um, if we want to be, if we want to have some chance of success at, at getting an older buck, you know, within the rut or even outside of the rut. Yeah. And yeah, what, what Bill said is it's like, that's got in here that, but yeah, it's almost like a different species. And so 
and that's where I'm at. That's that's the animal I'm after because he is different. It doesn't relate to the rest of the herd. So just some things that I've picked up over the years. I'm more instinctual. Like I instinctively learn about these animals, and 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 I always ask myself questions. I like following individual deer, mature deer, and learn theirs. And they're all individually different, just like humans, as we always can relate to. There's deer that I, mature deer that I've, I've followed, whether it was with cameras or, or just scouted and or seen or glassed that they, and like maybe a hard hunted public land and maybe some of the smaller like Ohio, you know, or Midwest to where these deer, I think they even felt like they were different. These mature deer even felt like they were a different species to where they didn't really participate in the what the rest of the herd was doing. I've seen deer like mature deer, um, older mature bucks, not even like rub trees or even hit scrapes that other deer, the rest of the population would would hit. They, they just felt like they were other, you know, they were yeah. better and they didn't need to participate in them shenanigans. Basically they weren't on that level. They felt they were like you said, Bill said they, they the model shows that, but they also, I think, feel that way, that they are other. Um, but yeah, a lot of them deer are just like in a heavy, I've, I've learned in like some heavy hunted, like Midwest, you know, smaller broken up farmland, as, as you said, um, they didn't use trails. They, they were, like I said, a lot of scrapes, they, they were kind of like satellites, you know, they would maybe be there, but not there, you know, they would kind of like just be on a downwind side and, and smelling what's there, knowing what's going on, but not really participating, just overseeing like the whole um, herd and, and knowing what's going on, but not actually being like, like they, like the rest of the herd. And like, for example, I know Bo Martonic got his deer last year. I helped him, you know, we got it on a deer drive, but um, it was an eight or nine year old deer, you know, pushing 160. And I had a camera on a community scrape, probably a hundred yards from where we bumped his deer and he killed it maybe a couple hundred yards past where we bumped it. And my camera on a, a cell cam and I haven't picked, I didn't pick that deer up for probably, uh, let's see, shot it in early December, probably, probably early November. So it was over a month that this deer lived near this. And I mean, I had, every deer and every deer hitting this scrape i'm assuming that lived there except him and he lived right there huh. so it just shows you like and there's a lot written about scrapes and how deer use them and i always talk about having another tool in your toolbox the stuff that you learn from any video any magazine anybody that talks whether it's me or whoever it's not always going to work in your situation every situation is different to where you know like bow's deer he didn't i had him on that scrape maybe one time and he just kind of breezed through it smelled it and I, I i knew he lived there you know i was following him for a few years but he you know and you hear about community scrapes and, and how you know if you want that's the best hunting mature deer and this and that but this deer didn't he didn't participate in those scrapes and i know all the does knew about him so that's just one example of how these deer some of these mature deer aren't participating 
and the rest of the, you know, what the rest of the herd is doing. Uh, but they are there and they know what's going on and they're really in tune with everything. But I think it's the pressure and it's just like, um, if you, if like you got bit by a dog as a child, you're going to be, a, you're going to react to dogs differently than maybe someone else. I mean, maybe he had a traumatic experience in his life that matured deer to where he's, he's living differently. Maybe you don't know what it is. It's like, why do other people think the way they do and do the things they do? You really don't know how they've been treated or how they lived their life or this and that you don't know. But like I said, everything you read, it's always good to have another tool in your toolbox. But if you really dissect what's going on, that's why I like to get down to one animal and, and dissect him. Cause I want to know what he does. Um, there are different, definitely similarities in, in mature deer, you know, but it's not always black and white, you know, yeah. I mean, um, I like using analogies. I know Bill been using them lately just in general. And I think that's the best way for people to learn, you know, how they can associate what you're trying to say to, to where they're at. You know, um, it's like if you wanted to I talk sometimes and say, if you wanted to hunt me or hunt a human, if you were out, if you went, you said, oh, yeah, I'm going to go to McDonald's because that's where everybody eats. Well, if I don't eat a McDonald's, then you're not going to see right. me there. You know, you have to change your strategy to like even like in the different parts of the country, the deer, you know, they live, they inhibit different, all kind of regions in this country, just like people live all over the world. People in China, people in Mexico and, you know, like people in China use chopsticks to eat, you know, and if you didn't, if you thought everybody used forks to eat, if you're going to go hunt a person, you're going to go to the local place that sells forks and you're not going to, you know, if you're in China, you're not going to do any good because they're buying chopsticks. You know what I mean? It's just yeah. kind of you can relate to, you know, to where, you know, they're all individuals, you know, so. Right. So like in the, the example of Bo's buck, like there could have easily just been another, you know, eight or nine year old buck who, maybe had different experiences or, or different personality to the point where, you know, maybe he's living in the same size area, but maybe he's going and hitting that scrape. Whereas the other deer didn't just because they had different personalities. Yeah. That, that's what I've, I've learned the most. I mean, um, is they don't, they're, they're different. They're definitely different. A lot of deer tend to be, some of them mature deer will tend to be nocturnal in the smaller, you know, I think the mature deer definitely have that time day or two that they are kind of out of their mind and you could see them anywhere. Um, but, um, I think that some deer will tend to be nocturnal through the rut, even to find the does at night. Um, it's, uh, and, and like we were talking about the deer sign, sometimes you get into a pressured area that reading the sign isn't always all you need to know. It's the hunting pressure that, that, um, is involved on those deer and the sign might say the deer's there, but it might be the middle of night. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Um, it's, it's something you got to learn, you know, and that's what I like about the challenge of hunting public land is learning what's going on, not just reading the sign, but how is, and we just talked about before we got on the air is how I kind of follow the hunters a little bit myself to see where they're at and kind of see a guy parked here. And okay. I I'm, I'm assuming he's, if you look at the general population, okay, he's he parked here, he's down in here, you know, or after he leaves, I'll go see where he was, you know, uh, just to see, but I can kind of judge where he's at and, and 
it really don't bother me because I really intimately know the area that I'm hunting or I try to, you know, like I said, a lot of my places. And that's why sometimes it takes me a few years since I do travel to different states to learn an, uh, an area state because it takes you time to learn that area just like a deer would grow up. And some of these deer that I'll find now, um, like a new deer that I might find, it's kind of like, man, you know, you're just learning. You want to kind of hunt them. You know, say you just find a deer in September and you want to hunt that deer, but you really, maybe it's a new area that you hunt it, that uh, an area, yeah, that you, you just started hunting or you just started scouting or whatever and you find a big deer. Chances of you maybe getting them that first first year is tough because you really got to, and you'll learn more every year that you hunt there and follow that deer, but you got to learn that land like he intimately knows that land to, to be, I think, successful, you know, because like last year I kind of got onto a deer and I was kind of a new deer and I knew very little about him. And um, it was just a tough year. I mean, I didn't know where to start. You know what I mean? I needed time. I needed shed hunting and, and now I'm starting to put the pieces of the puzzle together. So it is tough when you do travel and go to different states to, to get on a mature deer and try to, to be successful. I just like the challenge. I, I, there's a lot of times I've been on public land and there'd be a fence, private land, like right close by or something. And I'm like, you know, but I like the challenge of being on that public and the deer might come across the fence and do the public and then go back to the private whenever it is and that. But it's like, there's a lot of times like, man, if I was over there, I know I can kill him, you know, but it's to me, it's not all about killing that. That ain't the end all, you know, it's like catching him when he's on that public and beating him in his own game. You know yeah. what I mean? But it does take time to, to learn an animal, you know, because it's, you can read maps and, and, and that, but till you get out there and keep asking your, your, yourself questions, keep hiking, you know, um, springtime shed hunting. And, and I try to ingrain, not just, you know, what I, what I see, I take pictures of, but, but like, I try to visually have a map in my head or see that, um, lay of the land or in that, like the deer itself. I know before there was maps and anything, I would just, on smaller piece of land, I, but even in a bigger land up in Pennsylvania, I remember I would just walk, like I would connect the dots. I, I remember in my head, you know, and I was pretty good at um, like orienteering where I was, you know, and compared to like this scrape over here or this uh, bedding area over here. And, and I would myself, sometimes I would walk, okay, this is how far I am from this scrape. And I would walk, find where these rubs are till I can make my own map in my head, how I see it as the deer did. Yeah. You know what I mean? But like when I see other people hunting on the land I'm, I'm hunting on, it doesn't really bother me. Cause it's like we talked about before we got on, on the air is a lot of the people that are hunting. I pretty much know the lay of the land way better than them. And they don't really concern me because the majority of the population of people that are hunting aren't there to hunt that mature animal. And they're, they're following the, the general deer population and a lot of them are hoping for a chance at a deer to where I don't like leaving anything up to hope. I'd like to know what's going on in the woods, you know, just whether it's hunting or just in life. It's like, I'm, man, I'm, I hope, I hope I'll be rich one day or, you know, I hope I'll be this and that you're not saying much about your, your work ethic, you know, for hoping something, but if you work hard and you get to learn, learn that, you know, then, and know what's going on, then it doesn't phase me that a guy's hunting here, you know? And like I said, I, I'm kind of different. I think, I think, I think differently. I think 
I learned from the deer and not always. And, and that's another thing I've done back when I was younger is I didn't uh, get into, I did when I was really young, read magazine articles and learn about deer, everything I could, you know, find on deer. And I, it kind of went the wrong way because it didn't, it wasn't relating to the deer that I hunted where I hunted. So I, I think in my twenties, I just started learning from that end of them animals myself and follow them in and learn as much as I can to where now, you know, and, and it is deceiving for a hunter. I mean, he can read the sign on public land, but it's not, it's like a facade. Like here's the smoke and mirrors, here's the rubs and scrapes, but you know, and they're going to hunt that, but they, sometimes they don't put the effort into, you know, you get near a scrape deer's, usually going to send check in a lot of places that I hunt the wind swirls. You got to be ready for that. I mean, you got to, and, and you got to be on your a game when you go into hunting mature deer because they're on there. This is their life depends on it. So you have to overcome them and you have to, it can't be just like haphazardly. You right. Know, I got a lot, of, I get a, like, I'm going down one way, Garrett. And I think about this, but and it, and it takes me into a situation where I've hunted out of state a lot and I'd be hunting mature deer and say you got six, seven days and you try to hunt every day. And I've learned that sometimes you can't do that because to, to do everything right, to, to get the edge, you have to find that, um, angle on them big mature deer do everything right for five six days and not bumping this and that it's kind of taxing mentally and physically you know you but you have to you, you walk that fine line and giving him his odds you know but also trying to find that angle it's a whole different ball game because them mature deer don't make a lot of mistakes with their you know they like during a rut is when you have a chance and a lot of it i think is randomness i think they live with randomness and i know we've talked um, maybe on a phone one time, I, a lot of the deer I feel use these mature deer use random patterns to where they can't be. There's always some patterns in their, their life that you can find, but for the most part, you know, especially in this bigger land, um, you know, in different, different times of the year, they'll inhibit different areas, whether it's for the does and this and that, but sometimes movement from, you know, maybe point A to point B might be a random route just to, um, just for the reason that so they're not patterned, you know. And so they're kind of like ghosts where he, he might he might be in a certain little, you know, core area, but he's not leaving dense enough sign over and over again to where you can just walk in and be like, oh, here it is. This is the obvious yeah. thing. Like he's just, he might be there and you never get to take a really fine tooth comb to even realize it. And then sometimes I learn now, like with cameras, sometimes like, Sometimes we rely so much on cameras that we're putting them cameras out and waiting for that fresh hot sign. He's in there to go in there, and sometimes you're already behind him. He's already under the next. It might be he was there at that time, you know. And then he might be. So they they'll have different beds and they'll they'll travel to different locations. It's it's rare. It's like sometimes I'll find them in the winter, you know, um, to where they're really bedding, they're exhausted, they need to save energy to find just stay in that one bedding area. But there's a lot of randomness you know, involved in, in the mature deer, um, and, and, in their life, I think to help them survive to where it's not all just black and white. And, and this is where I bed. This is where I eat. Yeah. And I'm talking about deer that I know about in bigger, not also bigger land, but smaller tracks, but with, with hunting pressure, I think, I think the hunting, I think hunting human pressure is the worst thing for deer i do i do believe that it's um it really hampers them worse than maybe like 
coyotes or something like that. I know, I know they live with them every day and, and there's a predator and even for a mature deer, they could take, take a mature deer down. But I think there's just something about them humans that just really mess, mess with their mind that they don't, they don't like the pressure that, you know, they're going to, they still have to live and breed. And, and that's why I talk about a lot of times is finding like a nook and cranny or a seam, I call it to where, you know, you got these, deer that know their land so good and where they live and then they know when a car door slams they know where this guy's going to hunt and they know the typical spots that hunters are going to be and and they just they'll live with hunters it's not like they're going to move they know that land so they're so sly they're going to live with them hunters in their own on their own terms and they're not going to like it but they're going to live with it and and just walk in areas that um you know put them away from them humans and like, a, like, you know, just staying away from them, you know, it might not be the ideal life for them and how they would want to live, but this is what they got to do. And they're, they're so resilient and their will to live is pretty remarkable to where they'll do whatever it takes and they'll live with them humans. So, um, yeah, I think, um, just think outside the box. Um, and I know we talked a couple of minutes before we got on air about an area that I'm kind of looking into that's uh there's not much sign it's it's kind of but the one thing is there's a lot of cover you can't see maybe 50 to 80 yards in like a couple hundred acres um to where if I was to me I look at it if I was trailing a deer whether it be with a rifle or what I feel like I could never see him because he could just maybe keep doing circles in this this certain amount of area and it's kind of like a triangle to where there's hunting pressure all around there's roads by and there's guys going out this one road and it's just kind of like it's there but it's not there it's right in there with the rest of the herd but it's satellite in that area and and um and so that's where he hangs out and the signs are not always there either you know what i mean but if you use your instincts and, and you learn that land so well and, you know, I'm talking five, six, eight years, and I'm just dabbling in this area, but I know the area around there, and I know where I'll see mature deer, I'll know where I see hunters, and I'll, I'm, you know, and I have good luck when, even when my friends come up and hunt with me, because it's like, this is a good spot, you know, and it's not always, you know, because of rubs and signs, just because nobody's there, they're, they're in amongst the rest of the herd, they're there, but, um, the hunter hunting pressure is not there either. Or, yeah. You know? So in the in the case like that spot where you you have an area where it's just kind of pocketed and you got pressure coming from multiple sides, would those places that are closer to where those guys are hunting by the roads, do they tend to have more of the just general deer sign, more of the does, younger bucks, and yeah. those guys are hunting the sign, they think they have a chance, but the reality yeah. is that that mature animal is he, he's off the edge. He's not right on the edge of that sign he's he's just kind of in his own area where he can monitor all those various directions and and then just kind of move up and, and lay, lay sign at night you know if you wanted to yeah i think some of these deer even maybe hang out like i'm thinking they even hang out near the road if i got this straight east west road and, and he's just hanging out and he maybe a lot of these deer will feed along the road or what have you and, and he's like maybe at night or going in the morning if it was me if i was a mature deer I'd be hanging along the road in the morning because I know the hunters are going to come, but I know behind me, I know where I need to be. But that's another thing I always talk about is I like to know what's going on in the deer's 
environment or whatever as they do too they like to know so a lot of the mature deer will stay by a road to where you know seven eight right around daylight hey um that's when the hunters are going to come in or in the evening but like especially in the morning i, I would think and i a lot of times i'll find spots where man i gotta park a mile up the road because i don't want him even know i'm coming up the road and shut my car door and getting out because then it's just like uh-oh yeah and i've here to just bed down and stop like don't move a muscle till it might be eight hours till you leave but um i feel like a lot of deer could hang out so um i might even hang, hang out myself along the road to maybe catch that deer but i would get in before daylight and um or like further back catch them going down into the woods but yeah just think about all that stuff think about what you do where you want to park think about try to you don't know exactly where the deer are all the time but where could they bid could where could they be you know and and take them spots where the deer could be and then think about how you want to get in and out and where you want to be so if a deer could be here or there you don't know that he's there, but if he's a chance, he's going to don't, you know, take that into consideration. Then you might have to park somewhere different. You know what I mean? And, um, but, and it's always good to, um, like when I hunt out there, it's another thing, like, you know, you got to, maybe if you go to a different state and you got a week, you know, a lot of times they'll just hunt maybe four days and, and scout, or maybe do like a, a hunt and, a, you know, get in a tree and get down and, peek around, take a little walk, you know, see if you can find some better sign. I mean, the fresh sign's always the best and maybe drop a camera. If you feel like no one's been in there, you know, then maybe it's a spot to hunt. But um, yeah, them, them mature deer are definitely individuals. It usually takes a few years to, but I've even followed deer that um, move year to year. I think through the breeding season is one like year to them and then they recover and then as the next year uh, starts, they kind of, they'll jockey for positions. Maybe, you know, one deer grew a little bit, maybe has a bigger rack. And, and they'll kind of maybe summer, you know, other deer die. They'll kind of summer in different areas. And, and then in the fall, they'll, you know, they'll move again um, to where they, maybe they'll bump off in another buck's area. You know, it's, I, I find the mature deer, some of the real older ones kind of, you know, they say their home range gets smaller, smaller, but some of the real older ones I feel will kind of stay steady. But when you get to, you know, I follow like some four, three to four year olds, they're not sure still where they want to live. There might be a rat, some of them three or four year olds might be hard to pattern because they don't know themselves. They might have a good rack, but they don't know themselves where they want to be, where they're comfortable, you know, and they're still in like fighting for a rank and who they are society you know and and but they definitely there's times i would follow deer in through the winter and know they make it and then the following year i put summer in the fall put cameras out i can't even find them it's like and then like i'll go a mile away i'm like here he is like a following year i'm like he's over here how do you know i you used to live here maybe he, he found something he liked maybe he got pressured there but and that's what's nice about following individual deer because you can learn a lot where you're not hunting the general population even if it's like so the last few years i had some good deer like on the 140 150 inch deer but nothing to really sink my teeth into to where i kind of had 
maybe half a dozen or so that I knew where they live. And it wasn't, it was just kind of like, um, I wasn't, you know, in like tunnel vision because I didn't know which I didn't, one didn't stand out. I wanted the biggest, you know, mature, I'm looking for like 160, 170 inch deer. So I wasn't like following them, um, and putting all my time into them. I was just kind of following this one a little bit and that one a little bit. And I was kind of scatterbrained where I wanted to hunt because, um, I didn't have one deer to focus on, but when you focus on one deer, um, you can learn his habits and, you know, and that's, um, I like a deer that can live in an area that he can spread, you know, the bigger tracts of land to where, you know, he's not going on private, you know, he's, he's going to live his whole life on public land, but, um, you know, and then even the smaller tracts of land, the deer, you know, there's certain times that you might be better off hunting, like off times, maybe in the December, January. I think uh, I have luck myself um, with deer that time of year because um, the pressure's down and, and then they have to feed and, and recover and they might be on this public land where everybody just kind of gave up, you know, and then yeah. sometimes that's why I don't like filling my tag because I get to hunt. It's not like I don't have to kill a deer. I don't care if I kill a deer or not. I just enjoy following them through the year and, and learn it. Then I get to the point where I am now, and I just know so much because I followed so many deer. And I, you know, I've killed some deer, but I've killed a lot of deer, actually. But I didn't – it's not like um, I didn't have anything to prove. If I went all season, like last year, I pulled my bow back once. You know, but I'm like, man, it was successful. I learned a lot. I learned a lot in this state and that state. And it's always evolving and changing, you know, as a human, you always want to grow your muscle, your brain's a muscle and you want to keep learning. And that's what I like about following these deer and these different bucks in different states, different habitat is it's always evolving and changing, you know, where they live and, and how the forest grows every year. And, and it's just a learning curve that never ends. You know, we could kind of shorten a little bit, but it's, it's just great to, um, but it is, it's, um, it's definitely the mature deer are definitely other than the, than the rest of the population, you know? Um, so when, when you would say, for instance, you, you mentioned, you know, a few times finding a deer, whether it was just keeping tabs on, on one or finding one that you wanted to go after that you thought was special and, you know, picking them up in certain locations, maybe they move, maybe they're in the same areas they've been, you know, the last couple of years, but I guess as sort of a step one, um, it, it sounds like you're just through shed hunting and various other times of the year walking around, you're learning the lay of the land. It sounds like that's absolutely vital so that when you do find a deer, you kind of know you have a starting place of, of what to look for. But then beyond just kind of learning the lay of the land, what are you doing as sort of a, a first step to to acquire a target, to find a specific mature deer is it all cameras is it some glassing over clear cuts uh, how are you i guess finding uh, any given deer to to start that journey pretty much cameras you know through the summer i like to drop cameras whether it's here or another state you know maybe early spring maybe let them soak all summer where i think that the deers if there's a deer living that's part of his core area. I feel like you can catch him and take an inventory on what, what's living in that area. Um, and even some of these deer, I uh, I run mineral licks where they're legal in PA. I mean, some of these deer, even some of these mature deer, I'll, I'll catch them. I don't know. I'm not sure if it's from the hunting pressure or the just they are other than the rest of the deer herd. 
some of these mature deer won't hit mineral licks that these other does and yearlings and two-year-olds hit. They'll just walk by it. You know, they know damn well it's there, but they um, they don't associate with them. I, I'm just not sure if it's all pressure related and they're just that, you know, if it's if they smell that scent, you know, maybe that's with the lick and associate that with right. maybe a human. I don't know if, it, if it's just they, they're that other, they, they're that, like, like Bill said, they, that's the best, like, it's a different species, you know. I don't, uh, I only deal with them, like, in November when I, when I need to breed, you know, but um, definitely cameras, and if it ain't a mineral lick, I try to put it maybe where there's, you know, summertime, you know, they're going to want to feed, and usually it's maybe clear cuts, um, maybe some open areas in the woods, or maybe close to water, I like to have water around, because it gets hot in the summer, but take an inventory on the deer population, see what's there, see what you want to hunt. And then I, I'd like to get, get them, leave them out for a couple months through the summer, but I'd like to pick them up around August, mid August, late August before they kind of, you know, the days get shorter and they, you know, they start their gears into shedding velvet and breeding. And to me, that's all association with humans getting into their woods. So I'd like to try to get out, get cameras maybe off them summer spots where they might have been feeding see what's there and start moving them cameras in august to maybe like uh maybe something to where they might hit scrapes or rubs or still maybe a different uh type of forage mass maybe um to where you're going to catch them through to september and october month and, and hopefully you can randomly catch, check them through october um i try to get some cameras in areas where i can check the winds right or whatever without messing the deer up or sometimes just a road crossing or, or you need to be able to check in cameras and there's some that you'll drop and you won't be able to check them because of the wind or, you know, you get close to a bed and area. You really don't want to spook them. Maybe that's a camera you, you'll let go a little bit longer, but um, yeah, I like to take an inventory through the summer, then kind of move my cameras and scout for that deer through September and October. And, and since my occupation, I'm an excavation, I'm an excavator. I have an excavation company, but I have a hard time getting in the woods in October because that's when I'm busiest. So me, I'm focusing on the rut. You know, I'd like to get more time in October, but so I'm kind of still scouting um, all through October. I might jump in a tree here and there, but sometimes I'm not even ready. You know, um, unless I do got to find a deer that I can kind of um, zero in on that maybe I know where he's at, but it's been a few years since I, uh, you know, in these bigger pieces of land that's, with a lot of randomness, a lot of browse, not so much uh, concentration of food sources, and a lot of cover. It's it's hard to uh, really narrow them down. Um, so I try to use the rut. I mean, I think I'd like to get more October hunting in, um, just for the fact that the pressure's lower. Yeah. Um, pressure, and try to get some more hunting in then, maybe some more scrape. I, th- I think the peak of the, you know, scrape is probably middle end of October to where, and like I said, um, if there's a lot of randomness and a lot of, not a lot of people are in the woods, you can maybe hunt them scrapes, catch them deer, you know, on a cold front, keep an eye on stuff like that. You might catch them as long as, I mean, you go in to that area knowing that he's probably going to check it on a downwind, make sure you can um, get set up on him to where he's not going to win you, you know. Um, I, I think hunting that's why I do so much scouting even through October. It's like, uh, it's kind of like I've talked before in other podcasts where it's like, I kind of relate to like a, um, like a 
pro prosecution lawyer to where, you know, he has a case that he's trying to prosecute somebody. And it's like, you don't just get, he doesn't just get a little bit of info and, and you know, take it to court. He, he gets, gets as much information as he can before he makes his move because he wants, you know, he wants a, you don't have a lot of chances. You get one chance. So, like, that's when, that's how I can, I relate that to, like, deer. Like, when I'm following one individual deer or a few deer, it's like I um, get all that info tallied up and, and cross all, you know, my T's dot all my I's to where it's like I do obsess over it and I find out as much as I can. Then I go in for the kill, just like that lawyer would, you know. So, so like a good analogy, you know, for people to know kind of how I am and how I look at it. Cause I think hunting is the worst thing you could do to a mature deer is hunt him and him find out about you being acting like that predator. Maybe um, you're hunting and he smells you and he don't see you in that tree. But to me, I, I feel like that really like freaks them out. That really, uh, messes with their gears to where that's an actual that's a predator like and it's a human and um i think that's the worst pressure you can put on a deer is hiding like that um when you're scouting and you're hiking through the woods and making noise taking your dog and you're giving them a couple um like he can hear you he can see you or he can smell you he can see you it's not so much of a threat as a predator too it's not it's kind of like, okay, I know you're there, and he's going to run and give you your space. He's going to listen from a distance, and he's going to probably come back in and hang out. But if you make some noise and you're scouting and talking, sometimes I, I talk. Like I tell people, I said, make some noise when you go in there. Like one guy messaged me and said, hey, you know, I seen this deer along the road. I want to go in there. I said, I said, act, it was July. I said, act like you're picking berries. You know, walk, talk, take someone with you, and, and like went here and there picking berries i said look around find the scrapes find some rubs drop some cameras you know park your vehicle right there not like you're hunting you know go in and do that and then get in your vehicle and, and, and leave and he's like, okay that guy was picking berries but you were picking berries but you're dropping key you're really scouting them, you yeah know? so yeah that's why I, to scout 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 and then go in for the kill you know sometimes most of the time i'm and then sometimes I scout so much and I forget to hunt, like shoot my bone out. I'm just like so in tune to learning these animals. It's a man, the season's going by. I haven't even hunted because I've been just learning from these animals, you know. But that, that's a big thing is going in and hunting a deer. Um, and sometimes you don't know if he smelled you. So you're like, you're sitting in a tree and you're like, man, did he smell me? So what do you do next? You're like, uh, uh, me. I just leave because I'm like, I don't take a chance and say, oh, I'm going to keep hunting a stand. Maybe he didn't smell me. I don't want to take a chance like that animals. He's not taking a chance with his life. You know, it's like, no, you know, and that's another reason why you have a bunch of spots. Like, and I try to have more deer to go after. Like, you know, I don't have that one certain deer, but even if I do have that one certain deer that I'm going after, I'm going to have a, a bunch of destinations pinned to where I can hunt them in case this one spot. See, I do, going for a kill and say this one spot maybe he maybe maybe i think he smelled me or you know there's times i've been in a tree and the wind shifted on me and, and i would sit there and it is never you know the wind shifted to where you think he's coming from guess what he's never going to come that way but there's times i did it and i sat there 
and he never did come. But then it's like, man, I put all that scent down there. Now does he know I'm here? You know, right. so I'll, now if the wind shifts, I just get down and leave. I don't care how scent free I am. You know, then I can always hunt down another day. But I have a def- I have a bunch of different spots picked out that I can try to um, get on that animal. You know, in case one spot goes sour, you got another spot you could try and and stuff like that. Like I said, even how they randomly move and have different beds and, and stuff like that. You need to be like them, kind of dotted out, you know, on a map to where, you know, you can catch them. Um, and I'm in my head just thinking of more of the area that I have been hunting, northern PA, where it's really flat and gradual, a lot of cover, you know. But like I said, this is just a tool in, in your toolbox or anybody that listens, you know, um, it's not, it might be a different situation that they're in but maybe they would find themselves in this situation say okay i johnson he did this in this area back and relate to that you know but like i said a lot of the stuff you learn from people just put it don't don't think i made a mistake of thinking that it was black and white this is how you hunt a scraper this is when you hunt a rubber this is why you hunt a bed or when it's it's not always uh will work in the situation you're at because there's so many variables out there you know that these deer are dealing with in different parts of the state or whatever country. Um, but just know that it happened in other situations and you can maybe relate to it and, and use it in, in your situation, you know? Right. So if you were to like, let's say you, you run some trail cameras and you, you find just a, a really nice deer that you want to go after. And, you know, maybe there's other deer mixed in with the, the photos or whatnot, but if you just get like that one picture, it sounds like, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like you're, you're thinking, okay, I'm at least close. I'm in, I'm in the ballpark. And then from that point, you're going to just do scouting missions, not necessarily hunt at that point, but do some more scouting missions, try and pick that area apart a little bit more, maybe drop a couple more cameras in areas where you might potentially get that deer on camera and just try and get as much Intel as possible. Maybe taking, you know, several, several trips and maybe hopefully getting several more pictures before you even formulate enough of a plan to where you're going to climb a tree yeah i like to even drop i don't want to rely on one camera there's times i put one camera facing north and no deer would come and, and another time i face one north and east and it's like the north one don't have camera and this east one has all the deer on it you don't know exactly we're going to walk um and a lot of them mature deer won't walk on deer trails you know sometimes they do sometimes they don't so there's another piece of that randomness I'm talking about to where I'll take three, I'll usually take, if it's just like even a scouting mission, I'll take three or four cameras in. I usually drop one, two, you know, in, in, in the same area, catch them kind of like, almost like a tripwire, you know, you catch them here or there, you know, okay, he come through. But also when you get in near the season, you want to set these cameras up to where you don't want to, you, you want to take invent you want to you want to get more not inventory you know he's there but you you want to get more knowledge of how he's living his life but you don't want to you don't want to um be the person that is uh altering him ha- having him alter his patterns because of what you're doing you know yeah so set your cameras at and accordingly to where okay i think he i think he's bedding over in this bowl or this ridge I'm not going near there, but maybe if the wind's right, you know, and, you know, it got to be right. You're like summer scouting going in the fall. Um, I don't even want to 
let him know that I'm learning about him, pop some cameras, catch him coming out of that area, um, know where the mast is. And, and I talk a lot about going in at nighttime and checking cameras um, that maybe they're in close to where he, maybe he's, he's bedding um, or maybe on a ridge he might be feeding on at night on maybe a acorn ridge um, or maybe it's maybe a thermos drop and, or, or whatever it may be or the wind's blowing, you say there's a creek in the bottom and the wind's blowing up the hill, you think he's up there. There's a lot of times I would go in at like 9, 10 o'clock at night to where I feel they were up and moving and, you know, they wouldn't associate. They, a, lot, a lot of these deer um, don't really associate that with much danger because they, they, um, they're curious by nature and they've never really been had any issues at nighttime with humans, I've, there's a lot of times I've walked up to deer at nighttime, you know, yeah, um, to where I feel like they turn off their senses. They're, pre- you know, like humans, it's just like they throw whatever's happened at night. I feel like they throw it out the window. I come daylight right around, you know, hour before daylight. It's a whole different story. So there's a lot of times I'll, I'll do a lot of scouting at night as far as pulling cameras and that to get that intel that i need that i don't want to mess up during the daytime um but that's a that's a good especially getting around the you know september into october hunting seasons in you know and I'll, I'll do a lot of that at night i mean there's times i've hunted uh i was hunting in the midwest out one year in, in um, late season and it was a piece of public land that has been bat- beaten battered all year from hunters and there was an ag field to the north and the public to the south. The ag field was private. And I and I got on the edge of that ag field, you know, catching the deer coming out. It was after about seven days of really cold, brutal weather till I know the deer needed a feed. Um, I knew they were going to come to that ag. And uh, I got in a tree maybe an hour or two. But there was deer all through there. And I remember these doe just few just doe family came and just was looking up in trees looking to the left right they were all staggered smelling stomping i'm like the wind was right but i'm like holy shit these things are like these guys these girls been hunted and i knew no mature deer was gonna uh buck was gonna come out because i mean they're on to this gig you know they had to feed but they were all really like zoned in on this whole gig that and that's the same thing think outside the box this is what everybody did you know it's like typical so I just thought outside the box and I said, well, I'm going to go up in the timber maybe an hour and a half before daylight and I'm going to get up in a tree on that ridge. And I did that the next day and I remember the snow was frozen, crunchy. And I walked oh, maybe 20 minute walk and I'm like, holy shit. It's just like so noisy. It's like unreal. I'm like every deer in the county hears me. So I got up in there on that ridge and I was, it was like minus seven degrees. I remember it was January. I just sat on the ground. Then I finally got my tree stand an hour after daylight. And here they come in from that ag field, different, totally different personality to these doe. And then there were some bucks. I think I shot at one and missed one, but it was like night and day. I mean, the, the, the ones that came out to the field the evening before and the ones that came in the timber the next morning, it was like, they didn't give a shit about, they weren't worried about any pressure. They never been bothered. Like no one ever yeah. hunted them then. Interesting. You know what I mean? So it's, 
it's something that, and I've been successful a few years doing that in January, going out and hunting before daylight, getting in a tree. It's kind of crazy mentally and physically. It's a little bit ridiculous, but it works, you know, and even like I said, the sound getting in there, I just crunched through the woods on it, like two, three inches of snow and, you know, hard cross it. Like, I'm like, Oh my God. But Hey, walk a couple bucks, walk right by me in the morning when I was sitting on the ground, they didn't even look at me. And then, you know, after it kind of slowed down, I got up in a tree and it was a whole different scenario, you know? So it's not as far as pressure. It's not, it's also when, when are the deer being pressured? So I think, a lot now I'd like to try to hunt more in October because the pressure is really high through November. Everybody wants to hunt a rut and I've had some success in other states hunting outside of the, the rut when I feel nobody was out there. And, and that's why I like the late season. No, not as many people are out there, but you know, after they, they need to feed more and, and recover and you can kind of really narrow down. You can, if you can catch one um, where he's hanging out, chance he's not far away and it really, can uh, zero in on an animal and I like using the snow too to follow them deer. I've learned so much tracking over off over the years off of people that have tracked and, and it's just it paints an awesome picture to follow a deer in the snow and see how he how he walks through the forest and that's where you he ain't even hit a deer trail. This thing I followed for half a mile, he never touched one deer trail. You know what I mean? Um but they're so interesting you know, but they are other than mature deer. So yeah, not, you know, what time of year is, when, when is the pressure? When are these deer being affected? But yeah, like you were saying, uh, you know, into October, you know, get your cameras, learn more about that animal, but also don't pressure them. Don't take a chance pressuring them. Um, cause you want to set it up yourself up for success to hunt in November. You're trying to build a picture of the personality of whatever deer you're after, and you're trying to figure out how he operates and how he moves through the woods. And let's say there's not snow on the ground yet, so and let's say it's been like a dry October, November, so like you might be able to see leaves kicked up in the in the forest, mm-hmm. but it's tough to like get an actual track size or something like that. So you're just you're kind of trying to piece together as much as you can. But let's say let's say you you're looking at trail cameras and maybe you have one that is facing a scrape and you're getting every deer except for that one that you're after and then you get that one other camera that's not that far away but he's like that you get that deer on that camera then you you probably start to piece together okay maybe this deer is one of those ones who acts more like you know somewhat of a hermit and if i want to get close enough to him then maybe i can't like hunting hunting the sign isn't necessarily going to help in that scenario but perhaps by looking at where the rest of the sign is in that woods taking a step back and thinking if, if if I were going to try and monitor where the sign is with expending the least amount of energy as possible and look at where that would be on the map, maybe that's the place you, you go and investigate next. Yeah. It, he's, he's there. I call him satellites. He knows what's going on with the rest of the population, but sometimes they don't participate. But yeah, I mean, if he's, maybe he's not hitting that scrape till after dark, he's close. And, and another thing is like, or so many times I sat in my tree stand and be like, Hey, I know the deer I'm hunting is like bedded down, <laughs> you know, cause you, if you look at them, they're, they put weight on in October and they don't move. I mean, they'll move a little bit, but it's really tough, you know, to get, um, get in close to them. Um, you know, I, I tend to believe the deer 
move like they're crepuscular to where they right around the dark hours morning and evening they're going to move so and it's at low light the deer immature deer like at dark even in like you know um maybe some thermal covered type pines and they don't like being in that open and, and they like that dark you know they're feel comfortable and around that time of day or, or that type of habitat um but they're always i feel a lot of these deer on like you get in a into rut i feel like a lot of these deer a lot of these mature deer i find some of them won't participate in that first peak breeding um, in areas that i found higher doe populations where they um there's just too much nonsense too much activity they're over here on on the side you know and um I've, even in pa last year i know some of these deer you know because of the pressure they tend to be nocturnal even during the breeding season so uh, and some of these deer that are seven eight years old i feel they've done this for years they haven't they they, they move right around dark but it's it's like a direct line this is where they're headed you know they know where they want to go to check the does at night but for the most part um i think a lot of these deer survive from being not being dumb you know and, and staying hidden during a day or, or breeding undercover and, and stuff like that it, it's rare to see them just wacky you know and if you're dependent on that um, your, your odds are going to be pretty low so try to you hunt so many hours you put so many hours in and you're unsuccessful and this deer lives every year so there is a place that he is you got to get in try to get in close to where he's at you know and i found some of these deer over the years these mature deer are so confident in the places they live um and it works for them but like i said the, what I'm talking about right now is maybe the complete opposite I talked about earlier to where one deer will live and, you know, maybe during a rut in this time of year, he's going to live here and do this um, because it's been working for him years in a row. But, you know, it, I look at it like a balance scale gear, like for the scale to drop this way, you're going to put weight on this side. That's what we're doing in this situation. But, Hey, I need something else to happen. Guess what? I got to do a 180. I got to do the complete opposite. I got to put weight over here to get a, get something to happen, you know, to where me talking now is like, yeah, this one deer might be living in this one area because it's working for them, you know, but I also talked about how they use randomness and they're not um, in that one area. So it is, I contradict sometimes and people say I do, but it is because I just, in my head, situations pop in my head that where I did find a deer and he was you know, kind of localized and, and, but it's not, he might be localized for a couple of days, then he's on to another spot and he's localized there. But for instance, one deer, one deer I hunted years ago on public ground, he was bedded down by a stream and he, he come up across this ridge, um, public heavy, public hunted land. And, um, he would travel up and down this, uh, from the Creek he'd go up to the ridge cross and go down to the other creek at night and chase does over in, in, in that area. There was does over there, but I remember it was an old power line that went up and from, from the creek up to that ridge. Um, so it kind of went perpendicular, you know, from the creek yep. 
you know, to that ridge. And it was just a little bit, it was overgrown a little bit. He would use that, you know, and I hunted on the edge. And one year I found him and I got, he walked right up that thick stuff. He utilized that and he laid down at the bottom of that creek. And then uh, I moved to where I could see into that little bit of thick stuff. And I remember um, he come by, he was maybe high 20s, seven point, And he went up. And there was actually like a little saddle in that ridge. And that's where he crossed. right? But I remember I shot another deer and I told my buddy, I said, that deer travels. He lays down by the creek and he crosses this ridge. So my buddy caught him, you know, maybe a week later after I shot a deer, he got, I told my buddy to get there. And that deer crossed that ridge. He's like, man, that was a big seven point. I said, I know. Um, I said, he runs that um, up and over that hill right there. And my buddy, oh, my buddy was pulling his bow up with his bow rope and that buck come under, you know, come down that power line and just cross, using that, you know. So the following year, I think I set a blind up there. And uh, for some reason, I didn't, so I could see into that little bit of thick uh, power line. For some reason, I didn't hunt there much that year. So the, the year after that, I just, so now this is three years, I come back and I got to that blind and it was, like I never pulled it out of the woods. I was just on to other places and yep. that blind lane there was flat, you know, it just like a pancake cause the weather blew it over. And I, and it was, I said, well, I'm going to go try this blind. And I, I walked that Ridge and I had to come down along that power line to get to that blind. And another thing, when I left that Ridge, it was so quiet and calm. I, I walked like a deer from the Ridge and I think I even had a grunt call with me, but I mean, I knew he was probably, it was so, it was like a bowl on that side, the creek, you know, and that's probably way, why he laid down by the creek because he could hear it all around. But I remember yeah. I snuck way down to my blind, like, and I put the blind up and almost like a deer, maybe thrashing around and set that blind up. I get in there and right here, right at five, it was 520 or something, you know, right before dark, he got up, he was laying down. I hear that. So yeah, this is, this is what he did for three years. He'd come up that hill. And, um, I shot him at maybe 25 yards, but, um, this was a pattern to him where he lived on this public ground and he was probably, I don't know, five, six years old and he was still a seven point, you know, and, uh, but it's a story that just popped in my mind how this deer did the same thing probably, but he lived there that was comfortable. And, but there's other deer that don't. And not saying it was all year, maybe just during a rut he lived there. Right. You know, because we were in there that year. But that you can find patterns, and in, in I feel like that pattern was derived from the pressure that he encountered because he was, it was November, I think it was like November 8th, 10th, where you think deer just running dumb all around the countryside. And I remember he got up probably the last five minutes of light, like he did the previous years. You know what I mean? Like that's how he learned to live. And he knew he was safe to, you know, that hole where he laid, he could hear all, he could hear all the way up the hill and he heard me. Like if I walked in like a human, I, that's another thing, like getting into your spot, he would have been never come up there. And I remember, and I've heard it from many mature deer, like a cough. They're so confident in what they're doing and it works so many years. It's like so nonchalant because they know they're so sure of themselves because they don't take, take chances with their life. But um, yeah, the, for that instance, that deer did the same thing and, he was like, I don't know if he was a hundred and pushing 150 inch or something. He was a big seven point for a seven point, big, but that was a public land deer that 
you know, and then I started shed hunting that year. I found after I killed him, I found a shed and I found his big rubs way over here. And that was where he, I think he went at night and scraped and all that. And guy stands and, and he was, hunting, you know, and when I remember when I walked out that ridge and I found one rub, I'm like, man, I wonder if any deer even live in here. So it was like another one of them nooks, one of them places you find that nobody pisses with. It's sometimes hard to find, but um, it's it's safety if it's if you're if they're in the right you know all he had to walk was a couple of, and these deer are like at nighttime that if they have to go five six hundred half a mile at night they don't have they will go if they're safe here at this spot I've seen deer will get up and just walk a mile down a creek bed at night you know to get to where they want to be then get back in into maybe where they want to be for the daytime you know what I mean but yeah these mature deer for sure you got to be in tight to them october and even up into november um i think october is a good time if, if you can get in close to where he's feeding and catch him you know bedding and feeding in a centralized area you can maybe set up on him and catch a wind right and, and it's, it goes back to when is the hunt pressure maybe you found a deer that the pressure isn't too bad in october so i'm trying to hunt more in october is because I'm out there in November when everybody wants to go and hunt and travel. And, and like I said, a lot of these bucks I find are, are still nocturnal in through October, I mean, November, you know, and, and then I do find them start. Um, I, I feel like some of the mature deer start coming around like into December and into January. You know, I, I feel like they even like that colder weather. It makes them move, you know, as, as a far, as opposed to like November, you know, there's a lot of contributing factors, but, um, yeah, it's just, it's just I could probably talk all night, Garrett, in, in, in directions that you didn't even want me to go. <laughs> you asked me one question, like, well, I don't, you know, I don't know, but I'm going this way because that's that's where my brain's at, you know. So when you, when you're looking to you put that that puzzle together, and I remember you said that you're for the most part you're you're walking through doing you know just boots on the ground trips that are a little bit less make you seem less like a hunter, more like a hiker or whatnot. Um, I started doing that a lot more last year and it, even in times when I go past cameras, it, it seemed like it didn't really affect the deer that much. Um, whereas if I was, you know, hunting a stand, that would be more impactful than if I just walked through an area and then I'd have a buck, you know, walk past an hour later, right along my same tracks. Um, but if you're, if you're kind of also putting those cameras like a step back to where you think I might, I bet this buck might be better than this ridge or this bowl or whatever. And so you're setting camera A over here, camera B over here, camera C, like kind of around that area to try and confirm whether or not he's using that, that area or not. How do you bridge the gap from saying, okay, I've, I have a little bit more information that makes me, makes it seem like he's using this area to then making that leap to where you're actually confident enough to, to knowing how to pick a tree for that specific hunt. Like how do you how do you bridge that last little bit? Because you like you said you might only get one good shot. So how do you? Mm -hmm. At what point do you think you have enough confidence to be able to pick that tree? And what are the last little bits of information that you feel like you need to make that decision? Look at keep keep an eye on the the time. Maybe you're in like a feeding area, and you can maybe you know track him backwards you know, to where he's bedding. Sometimes you even get, I get in a tree to, to even um, scout, like hunt, but learn more, maybe at a distance. 
like an observational type set? Yeah, yeah, like um, you could see more than what your cameras can see. But I think, Garrett, I've been hunting so much November just because with my work schedule. Yep. I feel like the last six, eight years, probably since I started my business seven years ago, I really didn't hunt October. So basically October is tough for me to talk about. You know, you want to get near the, the food nearest bed, but I think maybe I'll fast forward to November to where I think it's more of learning where the just kind of setting up to where I think he's going to, he knows where these does live in his area or his, you know, range. And he's close to them does maybe where not the rest of the population is, but he's in, um, and, and I try to kind of know, like get inside his mind say, okay, I'm, I'm safe here during the day, but I want to go. I know those live down here, you know, and I want to head that way. Um, I feel like it's more um, just kind of finding, knowing where the does are, where, where he wants to go to. It's not almost always a transition or, or a, maybe a funnel. It's more of a point A to point B and kind of know where he's going to travel, what bars he's going to hit to look for the does. You know what I mean? I feel like I just want to put myself in them positions just because I haven't, I feel like that's his maybe mentality that time of year is looking for the women to where, you know, I'll drop like we're talking like out of October into November to where my cameras would be set up, you know, in the maybe scrapes um, and hopefully catch an, a daylight time to where that's where I'll make my move to know that he's not just coming through at nighttime because that's a, if he's, if you find a scrape, it could be something that he's hitting at night. So I think the last thing what you're talking about is maybe knowing that he's doing something in the, in the daytime because that's when you hunt. I think that's probably the biggest thing I look for is daytime activity and where that is because um, that's where you need to be hunting because he'll that tells me black and white that he'll come through here in the daytime. And whether it is near a scrape or maybe a creek, you know, maybe he's traveling this creek bottom or maybe he's checking this ridge for does, you know. Um, but I think the biggest thing for me is finding that daytime activity. That's like the last thing I would say that works for me that really gives me the green light. Yeah. Okay, he's, he's on daytime because if you get a bunch of nighttime and, and you know he's close to his bedding you know and then after after that he's he's out hiking around at night but getting that daytime picture of him is probably the last um thing that gives me the green light you know to where i'm say okay he's he's on a move at daytime you know so that's 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 very important because if you're getting pictures of deer at nighttime what good is what good is that to you but to, to tell you because to me he could be anywhere at nighttime yeah you know, yeah you feel like that time of year, the nights are longer, and I feel like sometimes they just hike, especially these mature deer that have to be in solitude all day to where nightfall, you know, right before dark, that, that's when they get up, and it, it's like, I got all night, to, and there's places I wanted to check, 
whether it's for does or other bucks in the area or food sources. It's just he might travel all over at night, and there's pictures. I get a deer one, two in the morning, and you know what? When I get them pictures, it's just like I might as well just throw that away because it's like don't tell me anything because I don't know how far he is traveling because they will travel a mile, you know, at nighttime. Um, but it's that daytime activity, I think, Garrett, that I that really gets me piquing my interest to where, okay, he's moving through here for a day, day in the daytime. Maybe the pressure ain't that much, or maybe there's a doe, a hot doe here, or he'll move through here daytime one time. He's he's apt to do it again, you know. Yeah, that's probably my biggest thing I look for is finding that daytime picture, you know. So if you get that daylight confirmation pick, are you oftentimes going pretty much right in that same area, provided you got a good wind to hunt it? Or are you saying, okay, he was in daylight here, but I bet if I put my, if I hung my stand, you know, 50 yards this way, this is actually the better spot to, to try and kill him. Yeah. Well, I mean, within a couple hundred yards each way, but he feels safe traveling through here. If he came through here, you know, he's traveling that way. Um, whether it's food or looking for does, he's, He's in about the area. So like last year, I followed a deer. He's about eight, nine years old. He started out the year in a clear cut in October. And, you know, he made all kinds of other thing, things. That's what I say. People will read that sign. So this buck I followed last year, he was living in his clear cut in October. And I got pictures of him. He had rubs in there. I left cameras in there and, and going into November and October. And, and I got guys on my cameras. I think they're even checking my cameras. But I didn't have that buck in there. And then got all them rubs, all that nice sign was there. And he moved out. I tracked him, and he went down into this creek bottom, and there was a scrape he would hit. You know, it was like middle October. He was hitting this scrape. And then it seemed like as, as the season, as the year progressed, he would move further downstream. Before I found him, like, in the beginning of November, he already moved, like, deeper down into this creek bottom. It was a little thicker. Um, and uh, the guys were, meanwhile, not saying – November 12th, 15th, 18th, he might fly through that clear cut where he made them rubs in October, but that things evolve and change. Like I followed this deer through October into November, how he transitioned from living in this area, feeding a lot of brows, like fattening up and he knew the pressure was coming in and he worked his way down to this creek bottom and hanging out in this area. And he just went deep. And I don't know if he went deeper down into that creek bottom because of that Maybe that's where the does, you know, the families were living and he know that's, that's where he was felt comfortable breeding or, or that's where they were in, in, uh, they were coming in to heat the first ones or what, or how it would be. But I, I, um, tracked him, you know, daylight in October. I, I, I checked the camera, you know, um, late or no, it was probably in November. I checked that camera. And he was in that clear cut in October. I'd like to hunt it this year if I got time, but it was around that third week, fourth week, October that gosh, he just knew that I'm getting out of there, but it looked so good. The sign was there. The rubs were I'm like, man, I'm, trails coming in deer shit. They're feeding here. I'm like, it's like, man, I, I, like I wanted to hunt it, but I'm like, he's gone. This was already, this is yesterday's news, you know? So I followed him d down further downstream. And, uh, I seen him at first time and, he was, and he was there um, with a doe. I had gotten a, a couple pictures there right around the, you know, early morning. I think it was right around daylight. So he was, I knew he was close and there was some, it was dark down in there, you know, some pines, some red pines. And 
I know he felt comfortable in there, and there was a lot of does, and he had scrapes and rubs. And this is where he's hanging out. So I kind of fall, and I did see him at first time, and um, you know the wind shifter or whatever. But um, it's just another story how it, the season evolves from October going into November, and how these deer like one point he's here, and but this is one deer in one situation where he was here in October. And then he just gradually moved his way down. Maybe it was because of the does, or maybe it was the hunt pressure. Maybe it was a combination. Maybe it's where he felt safe. Um, but like I said, you can be, you could be, it's like hot potato. You know what I mean? It's just like hot, cold. It's like, that was hot. That was hot. Yeah, that's why I always like to keep scouting because there's always that hot sign, which is that daytime activity. Got to get in tight to him maybe earlier on, but um, like I said, I followed him into November, and it, it was right around daily. But I bet he he hung out all down in it. He was he was in close right in that area, and um, if he made it through last year, I don't know if he did. Maybe he get on him again this year. But I learned more, so I, now I can kind of foresee the future a little bit. How he lived in that clear cut, and when and I know maybe you know his middle position maybe early November end October, and maybe catch him there, and then. Then again, a little further downstream, um, and I feel like he's at the age, eight or, I think he's eight or nine. His rack's not getting any bigger. I know that the last few years. And, but I think a daylight picture is definitely good intel. Well, last year, some of the some of the pictures I, I had, I didn't really get the intel until after the season when I went and grabbed the cameras. But I think the deer that I ended up shooting, there was three total – daylight pictures that I had of him and one was like I think late October at like 10 in the morning on one side of a swamp like a beaver pond and the other two pictures were also in the morning but like on the far side of like a different beaver pond um and I actually the way the way his body language looked in the picture it almost looked like like he was chasing a doe like I don't know if a doe wouldn't heat early but it was like those are the only two daylight pictures that were of that deer. Everything else that I ended up getting of them was, you know, 4 a.m., midnight, and, like, similar areas. So, but, but the number of pictures that would come through, and it'd be random kind of, like you said, where he'd show up in the, the pictures, and you, you thought it was a tight enough pinch point where deer would have to go through there, but he wouldn't always show up on those cameras. You know, like, you get, like, maybe on yeah. average one or two pictures a week of the various cameras. And there's, there was never one thing that happened that was repeated like this exact same the very next day. But by just yeah. continuing to hunt the area, it was like, eventually it, it came together. Um, but it, it definitely makes it hard from like a predictability standpoint, um, to try and, you know, call your shots, so to speak. I like the hunting pressure to me that constricts them that, that tightens things up for me. Like I, I can eliminate a lot. So in this area I'm talking about where this buck was, I can eliminate a lot of area real fast and knowing when the hunters are going to come in and flood them clear cuts and hunt that it's going to like, okay, I know where I need to be. So I really rely on people get mad. Oh, there's a guy in my spot. I'm like, great. You know, I know where he's at and I know the, I know where he wants to go. So yeah, I do rely on, and there are other places that I hunted that the pressure, you know, even up in that area, maybe back into where I can get random pictures, a lot of daytime movement, but it, they're living their life without hunters and without the pressure that they are living a normal life, maybe until maybe rifle season or, or maybe the rut, they might get 
but I do get pictures, but I usually don't hunt them deer because it's with the brows being random and the, and the topo being really gradual, you know, he, he is more apt to move during the daytime that, that time of year or any time of year, more so out of like rifle season and without the pressure, just like he, he's not, there's not a reason for him to tighten up his, where he seems like where he, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, where yeah. he's constrained, you know, like sometimes like, cause I'll get pictures like, Oh yeah, these 10 AM to a lot of, I mean, 10 AM noon, one, two o'clock. I got, but I'm like, this deer is just living as a nomad roaming through this thing, getting up and moving at all times of day. But how, how are you going to catch him if there's, if there's so, so much, um, nomadic movement with that, that type of topo, that terrain, that, and that, the food sources being everywhere and covered to where I actually gravitate toward the hunters a little bit to help constrict, you know, and if you know that yeah, land enough, sense. you know, and like my buddy up at my camp, I had a couple 130 inch bucks. It was rifle season a couple of years ago. They would be there at dark. And my buddy said, I'm going to go up on a hill beyond camp and hunt them bucks. He hunted all day. And, you know, they were down at my yard at night, you know, and, and uh, I said, you see them, dear? He said, no, I don't know where that at, they're at. I said, well, Greg, I tell you what, you walk up in them woods and there's miles of woods. I said, you, you have me come find you. You think I'm going to find you? He said, no. Well, I said, there you go. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, they know how to hide. They have the camouflage, the ears, everything to be efficient and hide from you. And if you think of it that way, like just take an area that you hunt and, 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 and you tell someone, you know, well, I'm going to go hide from you here. You come find me. Basically, it's hide and seek. And I always say, used to say that they're professional hiders. They know how to hide. That's what they're doing to survive. You know, they hide from them, from people like us. You know? yeah. Basically, you think about it in that perspective. Where like you're talking to your buddy. You say, I'm going to go up in these woods and hide. You come find me. You know what I mean? It's like they know that that's their bedroom, you know. So you look at it like that, that that's that's what they're good at doing. So does it seem like most of the people up around you just like looking at the maps of those areas, it seems like where you get clear cuts. Oftentimes they're up on like the higher ground. Does it seem like most, most guys are hunting higher stuff and in, in areas with higher hunter concentrations, it tends to push those bucks down lower. Yeah, I think so. And a little more cover has a little more cover down in the bottoms, swirling winds. Um, I just, I just, I haven't, now if you get it, there's different areas now, if you're talking about an area, some other areas that are just oodles of clear cuts, then people say, I like hunting clear cuts. Well, if 70% of you, 60, 70% of your land's clear cuts, well then, yeah, you're going to like hunting them. But when you get to an area like maybe that I would be, that'd be 10%, 5, 10% clear cuts, then I feel like a lot of people are going to, you know, tunnel vision on those clear cuts and hunt them and. I, I, I try to stay away from them. Yeah. You know, maybe like an older one that people don't really gravitate to because it's just hard to hunt them. And, um, but yeah, so it's like, it's all going to be relative to who, where that person's hunting. Oh yeah. I hunt clear cuts. Well, you know, like I said, if everything you have is clear cut, then you have no reason not to hunt them, you know, but for smaller. So I'm always hesitant. It's a good place to run cameras. I'll put them up in a tree and, maybe get nighttime picks or inventory and sometimes it looks so good. And sometimes it's like the saying is too good 
looks good to be true. You know, it, it's just too good to be true. It, it's just, and it's usually you're seeing all that sign, all that shit, all them. It's just a lot of maybe it's the general population of deer living in that, um, but that mature deer. Not saying he ain't gonna come through. You know what I mean? You get into like the third week of November, I feel like that's when they're gonna be a little bit goofy on their foot to where they're gonna. You might catch them there, and sometimes it's like that time of year. It's like I'm just gonna get in a random spot where does are. Yeah, because that could be how. He's living his life at that time of year or just randomness moving and looking for a doe. Um, but I mean, for the most part, that ain't it. There's, he got a thought in mind and a process and, uh, where he, you know, maybe even eliminates where some does are already been in heat and he knows how to, you know, get around to find the ones that aren't and use cover, everything at his advantage, you know, but, um, I feel like they still use their senses, even though like the younger ones get dumb. I think they've been through that and they've learned from that um even in that area the snow can get heavy at times to where i feel like them mature deer live through some harsh winters to where like i'll get pictures of deer um march you know to where you can see their ribs scrawny like this dude barely made it through the winter you know and there's other deer four-year-olds um you can't even see their ribs it's like hey what what has he been what what did he, did he do through the rut to get to this point where you can't see his ribs? He has, still has meat on his bones. He didn't move a lot. That's You don't know what it comes down to. He did a lot of hiding from you know, a little bit of breeding and a lot of hiding. Because uh, even though they're, they're, they have to breed, they, they have to survive first to breed. So that's number one. So he, he might breed one or two does and... Some of these deer in these areas are losing their horns in December because, like, okay, I, I did that. It's done. I know what's next. It's harsh winter, and I'm, I'm, I'm preparing. I'm, I'm bedding down. I'm, I'm resting. I don't want to be starving like I did two years ago. That was terrible, you know. Yeah. So, that, that's they hide and they're lazy. Like I, I sometimes use the analogy of like a, an old bull out in the field with cows. I mean, he he's laying down ninety percent of the time by himself over there. You know, and that's a few times when he has to breed that he's going to come around and participate and be around them. But he's just, he's putting all that muscle on and all that, fat, you know, like that's what he's geared to do to survive before anything, before the breeding. So um, think about it like that. You see these deer, like, and that's how they do survive is like be nomadic, but also hide, not, not move a lot. And they learn, you know, what works for them. You know, like the younger deer, you bump, they'll run. I'm sure there's a lot of times that these deer will let you walk by them. You know, just lower their head and and they'll just hide. You know, that's it's they know that they they can do it and, and it works for them. And it's not they don't give up their location and they let you walk by and just be lazy. And and but also when they're laying there, they they have escape routes already in mind. If if you do come by and a lot of times you'll bump a mature deer and I know they'll escape from you or me and that they're they know where you're coming or they have an idea where you're going to come and they know which way they're going to work i've seen them run it's like i see a blur it's like man how do you expect to kill these things but you know they use everything to their advantage instinctually you know they don't like after years they know what they need how, how they feel comfortable to lay down here you know it's and but it's usually the same type of thing whether they got the wind or or their eyes at their advantage to see where they're at or to or the wind to smell 
um, what's coming or like I said, see what's there. But make them feel secure, but also have them exit routes. But it's not something to think about, just something over time. Bedded, how many places have they bedded in their life to finally fine tune it and everything's like coming together, you know what I mean? Where it all works for them and, and they don't they don't um, make many mistakes, you know. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. We do. I mean, I tend to put them up on a pedestal, but sometimes they, we have the ability to think and rationalize and, and learn that they don't, you know. You know, if you're optimistic and you believe in your spots, there's no reason why you can't see it happen. But be also realistic, you know, don't just, oh, yeah, this is, I'm, I'm confident I'm going to kill a deer this year. Just saying that, do you believe it? That ain't enough. You also got to be realistic and ask yourself, a bunch of questions, you know, and, and to make sure, you know, you know, to put you in like that believing state, you know what I mean? Eliminate a lot of stuff like, man, maybe he smelled me. Maybe, I, I always say, maybe, maybe he's over there. Maybe he smelled me. Maybe, you know, it's like, I'm always thinking and wondering, you know, but there are times when I've been in a tree garret and I felt so sure that I was going to like, like, all the stars aligned and I knew I was going to kill a deer and I would almost hyperventilate to the point where like, I was just like looking over my shoulder for like eight hours straight. I said, I'm, cause everything just felt right. And I believed it and felt it, you know? Um, and I did, you know, I shot a deer, you know, it's not, but there are times you get in them spots and, and I don't know if it's your instincts or your intuition, or it is all the scout and the time you put it in the woods that just, that, that, that feels right. Just like a deer how he lives you know it feels right where he's living and where he lays down you know i kind of get in tune with with them and feel that way and but yeah there's times i got to a spot and i could just you know your sense just and this is it i'm gonna kill a deer here you know um but yeah it's um but a lot of time in the woods and you know and like i said before even maps came out i would just walk and put a map in my head just where this scrape was and i would connect I mean, I would walk like I said, I used to say to myself, man, if people seen me, they think this guy is, there's something wrong with him. He's just walking around the woods, but I'm trying to put that map in my head and see it like the deer do, you know, so I can hunt them and, and know, know where they want to be and know how to set, know where to set up on them, you know? So I guess if I had a couple of takeaways, it would be that when you look at the overall deer picture the older ones the more mature ones may not necessarily be doing what all the rest of the deer are doing but even within that context there's still going to be some kind of you know range of personality where maybe some are going to be more or less likely to engage in normal deer activities or engage in you know the first part of the rut or whatnot they might not be leaving all the sign or if they do that sign that they're leaving might be nocturnal sign. And if you're finding a good area, it might just be that, you know, you have to start focusing just adjacent to where most of that sign is. And, and maybe there's some other spot where it's good for monitoring the sign and it's away from pressure. And maybe that could be where that, you know, mature deer could be hanging out, uh, to find them in, in bigger areas, like, like where you're hunting it anyway, it's hard to beat just boots on the ground combined with trail cameras maybe in areas that are more open up, you know, ag country, perhaps glassing would definitely play a role as well. Um, but then once you find or locate 
that you're an area where you feel like you're in the zone or, or in the ballpark, so to speak, not just diving in and starting to hunt and hunt and hunt, but just trying to get more and more Intel, drop a couple more cameras, try and learn as much as you can about that particular area, that particular deer, if you can. And then once you feel like the time is right, then you go in and make your move. Um, and, and just kind of always being open to various possibilities for certain scenarios, because you could get a whole gamut and one deer might not be like another one or one deer might not be even the same as he was the year before. From what you took away, you said a lot of maybes, you know, and I'm hoping that someone, I like helping people, you know what I mean? Hopefully someone listens and says, oh, this happened to John or he thinks like this. They could take just like little pieces maybe. It might not all be good for one person. What I, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and being that I've hunted a bunch of different states and different, like, you know, it's hard to, you know, as you ask me a question, like, in my head, I got all these places that I've been in a different terrain and habitat, different times of year and this and that. And it's just like, I get overwhelmed with all the information that I've learned, you know, to answer one general question, but I'm hoping that, and like I said, it, and that's why the learning curve never ends. There's no black and white. It's not do this, hunt this like this. This is how you do this. I try not, I try to stay away from stuff like that because there's so many variables in the whole equation of hunting deer, you know, that you can even mention them all, but the one question, you know what I mean? It seems like the only commonality is that there's really not much of a substitute for, for hard work. Yeah, definitely hard work. Yeah, you're right. It is, uh, it is, it's, it's tough, but it's rewarding to, to when you do succeed or when you harvest one, you know, it's not, and I don't believe in luck. I don't, I rarely wish people good luck. Hey, good luck. I don't believe in it. It's like when I was younger, I've shot a couple big bucks. Because, oh, that's just like kid. That kid just looked like before I grew up. He's lucky. I didn't believe that because I know what I did to deserve that deer. And then I started shooting more. And like, oh, this guy. Right. Maybe it ain't luck. And then I got to be known. Um, but um, yeah, I'm hoping people could take something away from it. They help, but they're, hey, Two years ago, I hunted 50 hours in a tree. I shot two open young size bucks or so, and I missed 150 in 40 hours of sitting in a tree. Last year, I pulled my bow back one time, Garrett, from October to middle of January. So there you go. One year, I thought, you know, I had success and I did well with very little time. Um, hunting actually in a tree and last year I learned more you know I was out there more learning every year and every time you go in the woods but you could just it's like you throw everything out of the bag it's like well Sean you hunted all year and you pulled your bow back one time on here yeah so it's not like I lost knowledge it's just that's how it is right just the reality of of the you know the the waves and the, the pluses and minuses and, you know, the good years and the bad years and, and just kind of, you know, a little bit of just statistical chance that you're going to have some times that are in some years that are better than others. That's how it can happen, you know, and that's why you never quit learning and to be better. Cause you have a year like, and you're like, man, so this year I'm thinking, I'm like, 
I'm on them. You know, I feel like I'm going to have a good year. But you don't know that. You know, you don't know what just what's going to be thrown at you. So just got to just got to keep grinding and doing the the best you know how to do and hope for the best. Yeah. All right. Well, if if people have additional questions or want to get a hold of you, is the best place to contact you through Instagram or, or Facebook? What's the best way for people to reach out? Yeah, on Instagram, uh, the Johnny Stewart. Um, if you want to shoot me a message, you got any questions, I'm happy to help um, the best I can. Um, yeah, anybody wants to get a hold of me, that's where I'm at. I usually try to get you know answer most of the people that um, talk to me. So hopefully, I can help someone out. You know. That'll do it for this episode. As always, make sure to follow the Sportsman's Nation on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Leave us a review on iTunes. And if you're looking for additional content, subscribe to DIY Sportsman. And with that, thanks for listening.